Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Good morning. Um, nobody wants to live a life that in the final analysis has been wasted. You know, nobody wants to go through life and time and time again feel like they are failing and like what they've done doesn't matter. Nobody wants to come to the end of your life and look back on your life and say, wow, I failed so many times. What a waste. What's the point? And certainly as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't want to find ourselves standing before Christ and having Christ look at our lives with us and evaluate it and discover that the vast majority of our life has been now burned up and gone and was a waste. And so we don't want to live that way, so what do we do? How do we, because life pushes you in that direction. Have you noticed that? Life pushes you toward those kinds of outcomes. How do we avoid that? Well, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 127. As we continue our series of preaching from Psalms this summer, just so much in the Psalms. Man, I love the Psalms. And we want to see today, Psalm 127, this idea of how to succeed at life. And I didn't say in life because in life, you know, that's along the way. You might succeed here and there and other than life, but how to succeed at life itself. And we're going to see here in, in this Psalm 127 um, that... The first two verses give us two major truths that we want to understand. And then verses three through five kind of give us an example of how that would play out in somebody's life with respect to their family. So let's, let's read through it and then we'll go back and we're just gonna focus in on verses one and two today. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And notice they do labor, they labor but their labor's in vain, it's, it's, it's wasted. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So, man, when it comes to being protected, I mean, we can try to protect ourselves, right? And we should, right? That's a good thing to do. But in the long run, if the Lord doesn't protect us, we are vulnerable. Think about that even as a nation, right? We can do all we can to try to protect ourselves, but if the Lord doesn't protect us, ultimately, it doesn't go well. Verse two, he applies it now more to us and what we're doing. He said, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. This stuff. So he's talking about working hard, stuff, trying to make things happen, putting the time in, putting the effort in, dealing with the hardship, the pain, the struggles, and the sorrow that goes with it. Whether we're talking about you know, trying to build a business or to build a family or whatever we're doing in life. He said it is vain, it's, it's, it's wasted, it's, it's, it's useless to, to make such effort if it's not the Lord building the house, if it's not the Lord protecting us. And then he says this at the end of verse two, for so he gives his beloved sleep. 
when God's in the mix, we'll talk more about this, you can sleep. All right, so then he gives the example of how this could work out in someone's life. Someone who is allowing the Lord to build the house. Someone who's asking the Lord to protect it. Someone who may be working hard, but they're depending on God. Verse three, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And so it's portraying this idea of building a family, building a household, building the children so that they are become like arrows that you shoot out into the battle. And that, that with many arrows you can accomplish much more than you ever could have on your own. And I think of that with my own kids, right? Uh, that they are many times beyond me and what I can do. And their children, we were just camping that last week and we had uh, 14 of our grandchildren there. And this campground, it's a wonderful place, a safe place, Christian campground, and, and uh, seemed like everywhere I go, whoop, there goes one of my grandkids, whoop, there goes another one. They're all over the place, but what a blessing that is. And that's what he's talking about here. When we let the Lord build the house, when we you know, trust the Lord to protect, when we do our part, we're faithful and diligent, but we're, we're really trusting God to work, the blessings are great. And, and we can feel like we have succeeded in life. And by the way, nobody succeeds all the time, but we would like to come to the end and see that it was more success than failure, wouldn't we? For sure. All right, so let's go back here and look at the two truth statements. And um, verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So very clearly here talking about, uh, you know, approaching life. And again, we're talking about whether you're building a marriage, whether you're building a family, whether you're building, because this idea of a house, the Lord builds a house, the word can mean a household, right? Everything that goes with that. It might be building a career, building a business, building a hobby, building whatever. Whatever you're about. Very, very clear. Unless the Lord is in the mix, and I would say more than in the mix. Really, it ought to be we're in the mix with the Lord, right? Unless he's the one directing, enabling. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Here's how I want to kind of summarize this first verse, the statements here. That if you're not submitted to God, and if you're not depending on God as you live your life, you're wasting your life. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? But really, isn't that what the Lord is saying here? If, if it's not the Lord doing this, you're in trouble. It's going to be a waste. You're going to fail at it. And by the way, it, we'll talk more about success in a little while, but failure... It may not look like failure in the eyes of the world, which could still be a failure in your own life. But if you're not submitted to God and depending on him as you live your life, you are wasting your life. It is in vain. It will be in vain. The only way for a Christian to truly succeed in their life is to be consistently submitted to God. And that's what we start off here, these three things that we do, right? The very first one, would you read it out loud with me? We surrender to the Lord. This is where a life that's going to be a success, a life that's not going to be wasted, has to start. And, and, and there are, um, 
Now think about this. We go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 when he says, you know, I beg you, my brothers, you know, to submit yourself to God as a living sacrifice, to surrender to God. In the Greek language, there are verbs that communicate this kind of a, a once and for all done deal. And then there are verbs that, uh, that communicate this ongoing aspect of it. Well, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it's, it's this once and for all. Present yourself to God. I surrender to you, God. I submit myself to you once and for all. And then the next verse says, and don't be conformed. Stop being conformed to this world. Really, is what it literally says. Stop being conformed to this world, but be being renewed, okay, in the Lord. And so that's where we have this once and for all surrender in our lives. And then moment by moment, day by day, we need to live out that surrender and revisit that surrender. We probably need to revisit that surrender at least every day, don't we? And probably more often than that. But so we have to live this life that is submitted to God. And by the way, if you've never made that decision, I know I've shared a few times in the past, but for me, I can remember it. I, I, let's see, I had I, my first two years of college, I lived not at home. Third year, I came back home and lived at home. And sometime that third or fourth year, I don't remember um, going to the University of Missouri, but living at home. I got up early one morning, we lived at a lake, and I was looking out over the lake, and the sun was coming up over the lake, and I was talking with God, and I just stopped, because the Holy Spirit was doing something in me, and I said, okay, God, I'm yours. Whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And I meant it. It was real. And so that was that once and for all, Lord, I'm yours. But man, every day after, live it out, right? And remind myself, and Stacy, and I haven't always done that. I don't always do that, but I got to keep coming back to it. But if you've never made this once and for all decision, you really should. You really should settle that issue for yourself. And then keep revisiting it. Keep working on living that out. And then the idea of depending on him. Think about this. Which makes more sense for you to handle this on your own or for you to work alongside God? It seems like a duh kind of question, right? The answer that's there, think about this. Because when we let God build the house, when, when we, we trust him to do that, we depend on him to do that. Doesn't mean we don't do anything. We work right along with him. But we were trusting in him to do that. We're submitted to him. We're depending on him and to protect us and all the things that need to happen. God is omniscient. He knows everything that can be known. And you don't. <laughs> right? You don't. He, he, that means he knows every detail of your life. He knows all of the things that you can see and he sees them better. And he knows all the things that you can't see and he sees those things perfectly. Uh, he knows the very best way to do things. He knows what will work best. He knows what will work against you, what won't work so well. He knows what Satan and his demons are up to. He knows what's going on in creation that is going to, that you're going to have to deal with. Uh, and here's one. He knows what failures you need to experience in order to grow, to be the person that he designed you to be. 
He knows all of those things. And, and so he, it only makes sense to let him build the house and to let him be the one who protects you and your, your, what you're doing. And because and, you don't know enough to succeed on your own apart from God. You will not succeed at life if you do not let God have his rightful role in your life. You will not. Second thing, God is omnipotent. That means he can do, right? He can do whatever needs to be done. He can enable you to do the things that you need to do. And there are things that you need to do. And sometimes you look at it and say, ain't no way I can do that. But God can enable you to do it. Hey, Stephen, in the past few years, has God enabled you to do some things that you thought you'd never be able to do? Absolutely. Right? Our lives. He can do the things you can't do. You reach those points, I can't do this. This really is beyond me. I don't just think it's beyond me. It really is beyond me. He can do those things. Because you've got to understand, you are not able to do what needs to be done apart from God to succeed at life. You aren't able. You don't have enough of what it takes on your own. Oh, boy, but in Christ, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I can do those things. So he can do that. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. That means he is present everywhere at the same time, all the time. He's always present. That means nothing ever sneaks up on God. Does anybody ever sneak up on you or anything ever sneak up on you in life? Um, my wife likes to sneak up on me and just scare me to death. Um, but she couldn't sneak up on God. Nothing ever sneaks up on God. And things in life sneak up on us too, right? You didn't see it coming. All of a sudden it's there. It wasn't something you had planned for. Uh, lots of things sneak up on you. But nothing escapes God's attention because he is present everywhere. He sees it all. He knows it all, all the time. And you can't possibly be big enough to succeed in life apart from God. You can't. You won't. Now, here's a cool note. He says, you know, here in, in, in verse 1 of Psalm 127, he says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sauce, for so he gives his beloved sleep. In all of this sleep. Uh, in Psalm 121, it says this, and it actually says more, but it says this, that he who keeps you will not slumber nor sleep. And so when you find yourself trying to live and you're thinking it all depends on me, I'm, I'm getting up early, I'm staying up late, I'm putting the effort in, I'm making the sacrifices, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the stress, I'm I'm pressing through, I'm pressing on. And, and it says, look at beginning of verse 2. What's it say, the first few words of verse 2 in one, Psalm 127? Look at your Bible or your phone or wherever that thing is. It is what? Hey. Well, what do you mean? I shouldn't work hard? No, of course you should work hard. But if you're thinking it depends on you and your effort and you're going to make it happen, I'm a self-made man, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, whatever. He says it's vain, it's a waste. And it doesn't matter if it looks like you're succeeding in life. It doesn't matter if everybody, oh, what an amazing person you are. 
Because when it comes to accomplishing what God wants to accomplish in your life, you will fail. It's vain. It's a waste if you're on your own. But here's the cool thing. When, when, when you're living like that, you know sometimes it's hard to sleep. You're exhausted, but you can't sleep. Why? Because you're thinking about the next thing. You're wondering, what do I do? How do I do it? You're thinking about how do I you know, preserve what I've got and protect it. And you're, all of that kind of stuff. And it gets hard to sleep. So it gets hard to fall asleep at night. And maybe you wake up early or you're groggy or whatever. But what God is telling us here, he says he gives us beloved sleep. The idea is if we will let the Lord be the one who's doing the building and we're working with him. If we will trust him to be the one who is protecting and we depend on him that we can go to sleep because God doesn't. God is always on duty. And so we can rest in him. And so that can help us to succeed. So how do we live this way? How do we live this truth being submitted to God depending on him so that we don't waste our life? Well, let's just, here's sort of the response. We've kind of talked about it. But submit to God and depend on him for success. Okay, we already said that. How do I do that? Well, here's how. By diligently looking to his word as your guidebook for all of life. How do I live this life? How do I live a life that's noble? How do I live with integrity? How do I live with the kind of character that a, a Christian ought to have? How can I live as a, a husband that my wife rightfully deserves? How can I live as a wife for my husband? How can we raise our kids? How can we run our business? How can we, on and on the list goes. We want to say, wait a minute, I, I got to trust God for things. How do I trust God for those things? Well, I go to his word. And I look and say, what does he say? Well, he says this about being a husband. Wow. I don't know how I'm going to do that. But you know what, God? I'm going to trust you. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to depend on you. And I'm going to try to live that out. And that's how you submit to God and trust in him. You go to his word. You know, how do I handle this situation at work? What do you say about this, God? What's right? What's the right response? Well, wow, that response, I think, just might get me fired. But you know what, God? I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to do what you say. And so... This is how we live, respond to this first truth, him building the house, him protecting. So we need to submit to him, depend on him, and the way we do that is by going to the word of God and saying, what do you say? And then act, act accordingly. Do what he says. Hey, Dave, how many counseling problems do you think we would not face if people would just do this? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, don't misunderstand me. I'm, I need counseling, too. Lots of, I keep thinking, who am I going to go see? Maybe, Dave, I can set up a point with you. I could use some help. But what I'm trying to say is it really makes a big difference when we genuinely, sincerely say, okay, God, I'm just, you know, and I know what some of you are going to say. is like, I can't understand. I have a hard time understanding the word. Yeah, I get that. But let me tell you, you spend some time. You keep after it. And here's where you start. You say, God. I need to know your word. I need to understand what you're saying. And it's big and it sometimes seems complicated and sometimes I don't, this seems to say something different. I don't get it, Lord. But I am going to do it because you say to and I am going to trust you to enable me to see what I need to see. 
And you do it today. You get in the Word. You read. Oh, I didn't understand it. Keep after it. I, I, you know, I, uh, many of you probably haven't heard, but there was a man when I became a believer in Jesus Christ. He was already in the church. His name was Leonard Patrick. He was confused. His parents, he had an Italian first name and an Irish second name. And he was demonstrative. Um, when he came to Christ, he was out on bail for having shot his brother over an argument about taking a transmission out of a car. Now his brother didn't die. But he, 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 uh, he got out of jail got, and, and heard the gospel and got saved. And uh, he had graduated at the age, I think, of 15 or 16 from sixth grade. Reading was not a strong suit for him. And he was reading King James English. And he talked to me one day, and he and I wrote a song together, the first song I ever wrote, he wrote with me. But uh, we were talking about that. And he said, you know, he said, I realized that God said, gave us his word, and I need to know it, I need to read it, so I asked God, God, please help me learn to read your word and understand it. And he worked at it. And over time he did. Man, he'd quote verses to me. But you see what I'm saying? If, God, if something God wants, trust him, do it. Step out, don't, don't say, well, it's too hard. Do it. Get in the word of God. And if you need help, ask somebody for help. I mean, don't just say, I can't do that. That's not for me. If you're a Christian, it's for you. And if you don't buy into that and believe it, you're going to reach the end of your life and go, man, did I waste a lot of my life. Not to mention all the problems you'll have along the way. Okay. So, let's look now at verse number two for the second truth. Big truth. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, the, you know, all the pain, the difficulties, the struggles that go along with it. And it's sort of this idea too, maybe all that you've earned, all the things that you're gaining, the progress you're making comes with sorrows because you're doing it on your own. By the way, who knows what Proverbs says about riches when God gives them. I mean, you can go get your riches and you say, well, God gave me all this. Well, maybe not. Did you do it on your own or did you do it dependence on him? His Proverbs says that when God gives riches, he doesn't add any sorrow with it. Interesting thought, huh? Anyway, so it's not about, so this eating the bread of sorrows, all that you're benefiting, all you're gaining comes with all this sorrow and grief and he says, well, like we said, for so he gives his beloved sleep. He, he, we can, you know, that's not his idea for us. It's not his plan for us that we live this way. So the second truth is more than, again, the focus on us. If, if you're trusting in your own abilities, if you're trusting in your own strengths, if you're trusting in your own diligent effort for success in life, you're wasting your energy, which ultimately you're wasting your life. But you're wasting your energy. If you're trusting in your own abilities, strengths, and diligent effort for success in life, you're wasting your energy. Now, the sermon title says, How to Succeed at Life. Then this talks about, we talked about success 
in the first point, we're talking about success. Now, maybe we ought to just stop for a moment. Let's put a kind of a parenthesis here in the sermon, okay? And let's talk about what we mean by success as Christians. I mean, how does the world define success? And somebody just speak out loud. How, how, what ways do the world um, define success? Money is a big one. What else? Power, that's right. Position, right? Status. Possessions. Anything else? Good, with certain relationships, right. Okay, so that's how the world defines success. Could some of those things also be part of what it means to be a success as a Christian? Well, they could be, but they are the result of true success. They're not the measure of success. Something else is. So let's talk about what success is for a Christian, okay? Go ahead and go to that if you would. It means doing what God says to do the way he tells you to so that God and the truth of his word can be seen in you. Don't you like how it rhymes? I had to work hard to make it rhyme. No, go back. Oh, yeah, you're there. I'm sorry. Doing what God says to do the way he tells you to so that God and the truth of his word can be seen in you. So doing what God says to do. How are you going to know that again? You've got to be in his word. What does God tell you to do? He said, okay, here's your money. You need to be a good steward of your money. Well, what does that mean? Let's see. What are the things that he says? Okay. Uh, he said, I want to be a good husband or good wife. What does God say? How do I do that? I need to do that. But it's not just doing what he says to do. It's doing it the way he tells you to do it. Because this brings in what's your attitude while you do it. What's your motivation while you do it? What are you viewing as important while you do it? All of those kinds of things are part of it. Um, any of you ever, and probably you did this yourself, but any of you ever had your kids when you told them to do something, they needed to do it? Okay, so here's, here's the kid. And you tell the kid, look, I told you too many times already, go clean your room. Okay, I'll do it. So he's doing it. Is he doing it the right way? No. See, that's what I mean. God would tell us not to have that kind of an attitude in our hearts, right? Okay. So it, there are things that are important. Not only do we need to do what God says, but we need to do it with a good attitude. How about the idea of giving? God lays it on your heart what you should be giving, and you, you see principles in the scripture, and you make this decision. And, and the time comes time to give, and you, I, I'm just envisioning uh, the maid giving in the boxes here, right? Uh, right? You see what I'm saying? No, no. God loves a cheerful giver. So God tells us all sorts of things about how to do the things that he tells us to do. And then, here's where we're going with this, really. It's not so that I can have some success as measured by the world, it's so that God and the truth of his word can be seen in me. So that people can see there's something different about you. They may not recognize it as Jesus, but they will see that. And they will see that you, you live differently. You make different kinds of decisions. Why do you do that? Well, they're seeing that you're living by his word. And it seems to work in your life, you know? What's up with that? And so this is the idea of success for Christians. So let's, let's look at an example of this, how we could live this out. 
And we're going to talk about like in the job situation. Now, the passage we're going to look at uh, is really talking at that time like a bond servant where someone was in agreement to serve somebody and in some senses almost as a slave, not like we think of slavery, but they, they, the, uh, the master owned their work, owned their labor. And then we're going to talk about the master and we're going to compare them to an employer and an employee. Okay, so let's look. Employees. So that's why I've swapped out the words. Employees, obey your boss or bosses with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Let's stay there for just a moment. So you see what he's saying? If you're the employee, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to do what your boss tells you to do. If you work for him. Now, there is, let me just, there is a, um, there's a limit to this. And the limit is, is if you have to disobey God to obey your boss, disobey your boss to obey God, right? Okay, so let's just make sure that's clear. But in the normal things, we're not talking about he's asking you to sin, we're talking about he's asking you maybe to do things you don't wanna do, things you don't like to do, whatever. It says, no, don't do that. You do what the boss says with what? Don't just do it, but what? With deep respect. My boss? Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? But he says, yeah, have a respect, a genuine respect for your boss. And, and this idea of fears mean recognizing that he has that role of authority in your life when it comes to work. And he says, serve them, serve the bosses sincerely. Oh man, that's big as you would serve Christ. So what if Christ is here and he said to you, hey, I want you to go do this right now. Would you say to the Lord, <laughs> probably not. If you knew it was Christ, you'd say, yeah, man, I'll go do it. He says, be that way with your employer. Be that way with your boss. Hey, let's continue. He says, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Boy, that's big, isn't it, on the work thing? Anybody ever been in a work situation where when the boss is not there, things kind of mellow out? And when the boss shows up, what happens? Everybody, back to work. He says, don't be that way. You be the employee that is working the same whether the boss is there or not. Do the will of God with all your heart. What, what is the will of God? This is, yeah, this is, he's talking about how you live your life as an employee. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. By the way, I had a, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think here. I don't want to say something that you guys wouldn't even know, but I still don't want to say things. I worked at a place one time and I worked as kind of in the same level with another person, and then there was the boss over us. And the boss over us was basically a good guy, but sometimes he seemed unreasonable. Sometimes, you know, I just didn't seem, whatever. And I was talking with my fellow employee one day, and he had been there a lot longer than I had. And we were talking, I said, how do you do it? How, how do you, and he said, well, he says, to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of like I don't work for him. I work for the Lord. And the Lord's telling me to do what he says. Well, I'm working for the Lord. Not for the, see how that changes things? Man, this is a huge change. Okay, We're, uh, so let's go to the next slide. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do. Your boss may not reward you. Your boss may not appreciate you. But when you uh, do what God tells you to do in this situation, and you do it the way he tells you to do it, 
God will reward you for doing it. He sees. He knows. Okay? All right, so you can see these examples, this idea of success. So here, when we're talking about the second truth statement, if, you, if you're trusting in your own ability, strengths, and diligent effort for success in life, you're wasting your energy. So when we consider this, do you understand that if you go out and work hard and build a business and, and you make millions and millions of dollars and you've been doing it on your own apart from God, when the world looks at you, what will they say? You're a success. In the worldly sense, your business has succeeded. But when it comes to God's evaluation of your success, you have failed. And you've wasted all of that energy. It's vain to do that. It's in vain. So, when we think about this, you know, that we don't have, you know, the knowledge, the uh, strength, the ability to, to see everything. We don't have that ability on our own. But there's something else that works against us if you want to try to do this on your own. And that is the curse of sin. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God and God pronounced what was going to happen? And he said, one of the things he says, cursed is the ground. The very elements of creation are now cursed. Things are going to break. Things are going to wear out. Things are going to work wrong. Things, things are going to get messed up. Uh, God brought Murphy's Law into existence as part of the curse of sin, right? If something can go wrong, you guys out there? If you can't, it will go wrong. So, I mean, this is, this is the way creation. So the curse of creation works against you as well. You don't have what it takes to overcome the curse. You can't. You will deal with it, and it will struggle, and it will always work against you. And, and so it reminds me that earlier this year, Glenda and I went to the beach, uh, up in Gloucester. And we were there, we were walking the beach. Go ahead and put that slide up if you would. And there was a, a guy who had built this real, and this is not the picture of it, this is just the sandcastle. But he built this big sandcastle. I'm guessing it was 10 feet, 12 feet in diameter. And he built big walls, so much so there's little kids could stand behind it and look out. And he dug deep moats around it and all this kind of stuff. And it channels in and channel out the other side so the water would come in and go around it. And so we were there for a while, and we walked up the beach, and back as we came back down the beach, the water was, the tide was starting to come in. And a little bit of water started to hit that channel. And this worked pretty good for a long time. Now, I don't know how many pounds of sand this guy had to move to make this happen. But a little bit of water came in, and then the water, a little more, a wave came in, it came in, and all of a sudden, those nice walls, you could see the sand, what? Start to slide into the, the moat. And this guy starts going around and trying to dig the sand back out and doing all this. It wasn't very long till guess what? The sandcastle went the way of every sandcastle that's ever been built where the tide comes in. I want you to know that that's the way the curse of sin is in our lives. No matter how hard we work, no matter how long we work, how diligently we work, that ultimately the curse of sin is working against you. The curse in our world which thankfully one day God is going to take away. That's a whole other sermon. But so we don't have what it takes. Why would we want to waste our lives like this? It doesn't make sense. And so this, in the response to this second truth, how, what do we do? Here's what we do. We learn to rest in the Lord so you can rest in life. 
You want to rest in life? Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. How do you do that? By faithfully living according to his word and trusting him for the outcome. Well, that's kind of similar, isn't it? But so not only are we looking to his word as our guidebook, we're saying, okay, we are going to live by it and trust God for the results. Because see, when we do that, it's no longer, are we building the house or is God? God is, and we're with him in it. Are we the one that's trying to protect everything and preserve everything, keep everything? No, it's what? God is, and we're with him in it. Is it all about our efforts and what we're going to accomplish? No, no, no. We're going to be diligent and work hard, but it's about what God's going to do. And so as we take these steps of faith, we're trusting him for the outcome, whatever that is. Whatever it is. He always has our best interest at heart. And if he allows difficulties to come, he'll use them in our lives. Remember the Apostle Paul, the greatest difficulties he talked about, he said it was so hard we just about gave up on our lives. You know, I, like what's the point of continuing? And then he says this, he says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And as you walk with the Lord, he will bring you to places that are beyond your ability. He'll bring you to places that are beyond your knowledge. He will do all of that, and you will learn to trust him in ways that you never, ever would have. And you will be glad because of it. I promise you. If you're living according to his word. Jesus said at the end of, of, it's in chapter 11 of Matthew, the last three verses, he says, come to me all you who labor. Now go ahead and go back this slide if you would, Eduardo. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. You ever feel like, man, I am worn out with life? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He, um, the word there when he says give you rest is an interesting word. Um, it's, it's in the Greek, and, and my good friend Paul can help me out with this later when I get it wrong, okay? Anapauso is how it says it in the Greek with my confused Missouri, New England accent. Anapauso. And it's two things. There's ana, which is a prefix, and pauso, which means pause. The prefix means up. It's an interesting word. And so the idea is here we are going through life, laboring hard, and he says, you know, come to me, I'll give you rest. I will get you rested up. You know, uh, it's the, the idea of up means this pause refreshes you. And we just a few weeks ago, we looked at uh, he he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, right? This is the kind of rest we need from the Lord. Because life is hard. Life doesn't let up very often, but we need rest with the Lord. And so we have to, you know, somehow rather figure out how to spend time with him and let him do this in our lives and restore us. All right, now, this is a lot of stuff. I mean, it's really pretty simple in some sense, right? 
We need to follow God. We need to submit to him. We need to depend on him. We need to, you know, follow him. We need to trust him. All of those kinds of things. We need to be in his word and, and live by it. If you're like me, you're going to say, yeah, I think I kind of knew this. And I tried that before. And I failed. Anybody besides me in here ever found yourself you failed at something you thought was important? Right. Guess what? You're going to. But what do you do? You do these things we talked about. You still trust in God. You still rest in the Lord. You still depend on Him. You get up and do it again. And you go again and you go again. And you, go, and you say, I don't know, it feels kind of impossible to me that I'm ever going to get it right. Well, you may never finish getting it right in this life, but it doesn't matter. You keep being faithful. You keep coming back. You keep working at it. You keep learning these things. Keep growing in these things. Keep doing these things. And so I want to leave you with this encouragement. Jesus was talking about a situation that seemed impossible to everybody. And he said this, humanly speaking, go ahead and go to that. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. All of this that we're talking about, it's possible. And who is more interested in happening in your life, you or God? God is. So, good news. And this is where the gospel comes in too, doesn't it? Because the idea is we cannot save ourselves, can we? We've sinned against the holy God. We can't be religious enough to make it to heaven. We can't do enough good works to get us to heaven. We can't get baptized to get to heaven. We can't give money to get to heaven. We can't do any of those things. We've failed. We've fallen short. And, and God requires perfection. And man, I, I wonder how young I was when that ended. Right? And so this is why God sent his son into the world lives this perfect, sinless life, dies on the cross, paying for our sins, rises again from the dead. And, and he tells us in his word that if we will come acknowledging who he is and acknowledging who we are and, and our failure, that he, and, and put our faith in him, we receive Christ as Savior. He forgives every sin, gives you eternal life, and he moves in and he never moves out. Good news, isn't it? And so if you want to, if you have never settled that issue of receiving Christ as Savior, you can do it right now. You say, oh God, that's me, I believe. Or if you need help, have questions, please talk to one of us. We would love to help you with that. Because when it comes to eternal life, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that, you, and that you tell us how to succeed at life. I pray we'd take these things to heart, Lord. We would, would, would surrender to you, that we would work to grow to be like you and that we would be open in our lives and live in such a way that others can see you and know you. We tell others about you, that we might succeed as you see success, knowing that in eternity that will be so awesome and not have been a waste. 
I pray, Lord, if anyone doesn't know Christ as Savior, no one has settled that, someone hasn't settled that decision, I pray that they would right now or that they would reach out and, and, and get help with the things that they don't understand about that. Thank you that you love us. You've saved us. You've given your word and your spirit within to help us understand it. Help us to go out from here today, Lord, renewed, refreshed, ready to live in a way that will bring your success in our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.